welcome to this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope you enjoyed our Reporters Roundtable show last week. We went in some directions that we don't typically go related to coronavirus and social justice. We transition into another thoughtful conversation today. Our guest is former Major Leaguer Brandon Geyer, emphasis on former. Brandon literally retired a week ago and is now entering a new phase in his life as the author of a book and a new role as what I would call a life coach, mental skills coach, and baseball instructor. Brandon played parts of seven years in the big leagues, just over 500 games with the Rays and Indians. He's the all-time major league leader in hit-by-pitches per plate appearance and was an excellent hitter against left-handed pitching. He's also in a rare group of players to homer in their first career plate appearance. We'll be talking about all of that and his time in the 2016 World Series, particularly Game 7. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Last we saw you in the major leagues was 2018. What were the circumstances that led to your retirement? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, yeah, there were quite a few things. Uh, I went to spring training this year, coming off Tommy John last year, playing playing one month with uh, AAA Charlotte um, of the Chicago White Sox. And um, coming back from the injury, you know, there wasn't a ton of interest uh, going into spring training, but the Giants gave me a shot. They say, you know, we can't give you a big league spot uh, in spring training, but come to minor league camp, we'll call you up for a lot of games. Um, so I did that, felt good, went up, played the big league spring training games, um, played in a lot of the minor league games as well. And I felt really good and I was happy with where I was uh, at. And then COVID hit and, uh, you know, everyone got sent home. And I think it was a couple weeks after that, um, they called and, and let me go. So, you know, really going into spring training, I was in my head, I was thinking, if if I'm not making a big league team, I don't want to go to Sacramento, uh, be away from my family for all those months. The point of my career, being away from my family, I got three little kids. My daughter's about to start kindergarten. I just, I just didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and I always had in my head, you know, something I wanted to do after baseball. So I combined those things and coming into the second spring training that's going on right now, there was a little interest, but basically if I wasn't guaranteed a big league job, and even with that, I just was telling myself, I, I don't really want to risk getting sick and be away from my family now. So I took all those things into account. I took into account the work I've been putting into uh, the next chapter. And uh, it actually made it a much easier decision and I'm at peace with it. So that's really how I came to that decision. It's interesting because, and we kind of have breaking news as we're taping this, Buster Posey just announced that he's opting out of the 2020 Major League season. So you can see the degree of seriousness to which players are uh, are taking this now and uh, being cautious. I, I presume you just you kind of reiterated that. I presume from talking to other players that you're getting the sense that caution is is kind of a good way to go here. Yeah, yeah, I think it's caution not wanting to get sick and get your family sick. And it's also, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be away from their family for a long time. So I, I think that is a huge part too. I don't know exactly what Buster's situation is or the others, but you know, just talking with guys, I know that if the families can't be with them, I mean, that that's tough as well. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. Sad that, you know, there's probably going to be more like that. Who knows? Um, Hopefully there's a season, but I really can't blame the guys that are opting out for sure. So we grade and analyze players here for a living. How would you grade and analyze your career? I don't know if I can put a grade on it. I can say that I am so grateful for it. I can say that, I mean, my mission, my goal was to make the absolute most of my potential. 
And I really feel like I did that. Um, you know, some injuries and stuff kind of hindered me and, and whatnot, but I would just say that the thing I'm most proud of is the work I put in, um, the way I constantly evolved to get better each level, each step, whether it's high school, college, minors, big leagues. And, you know, I can, I can be at peace with knowing that, you know, the career I had, I had to earn everything. Um, and there were plenty of guys, I feel like that had a lot more talent, but I put in the other kind of work um, so I could get on like a level field. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. I want to look back at the two things that I mentioned that, that kind of defined uh, your career. Looking back on your existence with getting hit by pitches, how do you feel about it now? <laughs> now that I'm not in the game, I like, I have more fun with it. You know, like when I'm playing and stuff, like it was one of those things, like if I talked about, it was almost like I was superstitious about it. Like if, if I got interviewed about it and stuff, uh, I wouldn't get too much into it. Cause I didn't want to be like, talk about like, Oh, I've never been, I've never missed a game from uh, getting hit by 80 or so hit by pitches. I never missed a game. Um, I never wore protective equipment when I, when I was hitting and I still never got hurt. Like, these things looking back now, I can actually like, cause I don't have to worry about stepping in the box and, and getting hit anymore. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really nuts when I, when like the stat you threw out there, I, I knew about it and I've seen some articles written and it's just, it's nuts to me cause it's never anything I honestly worked on. And it's just nothing I set out to do when I'm, when I'm in there hitting, it's the last thing I think about is get hit by a pitch. And it's just for it to, end up being the all-time leader per plate appearance. I mean, it's just, you know, when you get stats like that, all-time leader, stuff like that, that's usually you put work in and you want that so bad. But this is never anything I really wanted. It just happened just because the way I'm wired and the way I close my stance, the way lefties pitched me inside. Um, and when you combine those things, I, I guess you're going to get leading the uh, all-time hit-by-pitch per plate appearance. So I guess one word to sum it up is just nuts. With that, I know, and I remember this from talking to you four years ago, that you took a lot of pride in your ability to hit left-handed pitching. Uh, how do you uh, feel looking back on that? I feel good. I mean, doing that was one of the things that, or one of the reasons I was able to stay in the big leagues for so long. Uh, obviously, being an everyday player my whole life and coming up and, and for the most part platooning, uh, you know, there were some instances with the Rays where I was, you know, playing against righties a good amount, um, but for the most part platoon. And so, you know, I took pride in, okay, this is what I'm in the big leagues for. This is what the team needs me for. So I did everything I could, whether it was studying lefties, working on different approaches against lefties. I, I really wanted to, if that's going to be my role, be the absolute best left-handed hitter that I could left-handed pitching hitter I could possibly be and I'm proud of how I did now that kind of segues into what I wanted to get to with the 2016 World Series and just a humble brag here uh, when I was working at ESPN my colleagues we put together these information packets on the series and we decided that we were going to pick one player for each team that was not necessarily a known player but that they were going to play a key role in the series I picked one I picked you, and then I felt like that got validated in the eighth inning when you come to bat against Aroldis Chapman in Game 7, and you get a key hit that sets up Rajay Davis's game-tying home run. Uh, tell us about that moment and everything that went into it for you. 
Yeah. So I talk about it in the book, actually, that moment literally felt like just another at bat for me. I, I'm, I was really big on visualization and, you know, maybe not that exact moment, but that kind of situation I had already pictured in my head so many times happening. And so when I got into that situation, close game, big, in a big game, um, late, it, it felt like I'd already been there. And, you know, I had faced Chapman, I don't know how many at-bats, the first six games in the World Series. And something that really surprised me is he didn't throw me a lot of off-speed, like, to keep me off balance and whatnot. He he threw me predominantly fastballs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was worried about the slider, like, hitting my, my foot or, or hitting me with it or, or whatnot. But he did actually hit me with a fastball that – was almost the worst thing ever. Um, <laughs> it great. It, luckily, it grazed my pants right uh, where the sun don't shine. Um, so luckily, it, it barely missed. But um, so that was actually the best hit by pitch I've ever had because it barely nicked my <laughs> pants. But yeah, I just going back to that at bat in Game Seven. It uh, I just felt so locked in and so in the moment and so in the zone. Even when I fell down, I think I, I forget if I was down one two, but I got it to three yep. two and. Yeah, it, it honestly felt like another at bat. And to do that and to be on, I was actually talking to Rajay Davis a couple of days ago and just reliving that because every time I think about it or talk to him, I just picture myself being on second. And and the whole, when he hit it, I, I literally thought, there's no way. I didn't think he hit it high enough to go over. So I was like, oh, it's going to be off the wall. But then when it went over, I was like, damn, we just tied game seven of World Series. Chapman's almost at 30 pitches. Like, we're about to win the freaking World Series. And like I just that's something I'll be able to take to my grave and be, that I'm part I was on base when Raj hit that that bomb. Obviously it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but um man, that that was something special. I want to get to the fully equipped playbook in just a second, but I, I do want to ask you too about the tenth inning. because uh, you were up with two outs, uh, and essentially the season on the verge of ending right there, uh, against Carl Edwards Jr. Uh, and you kept the season alive. What, was was that same kind of thing? It was just like any other at bat for you? It was because <laughs> I could have been the guy that uh, was last out of the World Series, and you know I don't know if that person really goes down in history, but you know, last out of the World Series. But when I walked up to the plate, that that thought never went into my mind, and um, I kind of carried over the at bat beforehand um, that I had with Chapman into that not just the at-bat, but the, the mental process I was going through and, and being locked in and in, in the zone. And, you know, I didn't really get m- many pitches to hit that at-bat. And um, I got to get on base again, and, and Raj knocked me in once again. And we actually, you know, made something of that and got the tying run up or the leader, leader run up, I forget. But, um, yep. yeah, man, it was, um, it, w- it was a lot of fun. And, like I said, I wish – Obviously, it would have turned out a little differently, but uh, we put up a fight, and those Cleveland days is something I'll never forget, and, and uh, that was special. Mental strength is a big theme of your book, The Fully Equipped Playbook. It's an 80-page book aimed at a younger audience. Uh, it's part advertisement for your business, uh, but also very uh, comprehensively a guide to uh, many different aspects of trying to be an athlete. What was it like to uh, put everything on paper? Yeah, so I had um, really, ha- let me just get to how it came about. Basically, about four or five months ago, 
I did a Zoom call, my first one ever with a old coach of mine in Chicago with some of his uh, kids and some of his players. And so I, I did that. There was like 15 of us. It was really just about nutrition because I've always really loved nutrition and learned everything about that world. And we were talking about that. It went like 30, 45 minutes, did a question and answer and got great feedback. Really loved doing it. I was like, man, I, I'm into nutrition. I'm into mindset. I'm into all these other tools that I talk about in the book. Why don't I first write a book about it? And second, the Zoom thing, even it was, that was the first time I was introduced to it. Like, especially during this time, it's a way to connect with people. And since it's more of a, you know, mindset, lifestyle kind of thing, where it's not, you don't need as much physical practice with what I'm working on. Um, I thought it was perfect. Um, so then putting it on the paper, um, thankfully, I got a, a wife who used to be in the uh, television business. She was a sports reporter or a sports anchor for uh, Fox here in DC. And um, she wrote her scripts a lot and whatnot. So I put all my ideas down. She kind of helped put things together. Um, so she was a big help for it. And it was a lot of fun. And it really brought back a lot of memories writing it. And, you know, putting it all down made me just feel that much more passionate when I actually read over it a couple of times before I put it out. In my head, I'm like, man, I really feel strongly like if I knew this kind of stuff when I was younger, you know, I might have made it, but it would have just helped me so much more. Um, so I feel like if it can help a little league or a, a high school or a college kid, a minor league kid, um, you know, get to another level that they might not have and maybe help them reach their full, absolute full potential, um, then I'd be a happy man. You led in the book. The first chapter is titled Humility. This actually reminded me of, um, I had read Chipper Jones' biography, and he led his book with the worst moment of his career. And here, this guy's a Hall of Famer, and he's leading uh, with an error that he made in, uh, at the, in, I think it was the very last game of his career, the, the uh, uh, wildcard playoff game. Uh, you led with uh, humility. Why, why was it important for you to, to lead with that in uh, addressing younger athletes? Yeah. So when I put the tools together, um, the 10 of them, you know, after humility, they're not in any particular order as far as importance, but I wanted to lead with humility because I think that is the most important thing. It, it was a no brainer to me to put that first um, for many reasons. Uh, most importantly, you know, just to be a good person, because when you're a good person, you're most likely going to be a great teammate. And for me, you know, I, throughout the book, I wanted to show examples of you know, the tools that I tried to master. Um, and at the beginning, and, you know, I wasn't always that great, but I, like I told you earlier, I really tried to evolve each and every one of them just because the talent gap, especially when I got to the big leagues, man, that gets smaller and smaller. And so that, so that I could get on the field and play with these superstars. I feel like I needed to evolve and all of these tools I needed to continually work on research, look into, and so for humility, that was something I needed to work on. And at, at Virginia, when I was younger, I just, I was, I, I was a good teammate, but there were times that I was just selfish. And, you know, if we won, I wasn't as happy as I should have been. And it's just stuff like that, that I wanted to put in there to show, like, when you're like that, you're not going to get far like that. And being someone with high integrity and humility that's what's going to get you further in the game. And if I didn't work on that, I feel strongly that my platoon role that I had, I wouldn't have been as successful because I feel like, you know, you throw certain people into that situation, you know, they might think that they should be out there every day and, um, you know, have a bad attitude, be a cancer to the team. Um, so I really 
right when people read the book, I want them to see how important humility is and how, uh, you know, it can really help them in their career. And, but not just in baseball, but off the field too. Cause you know, this is, and I say baseball, I know you said a baseball coach earlier in the introduction, but I want this, I want it to be known that this is for all sports. You know, I might've played, it might've been me in the big leagues playing baseball, but I played all sports growing up, almost played football uh, at the university of Virginia it's for all sports. And I really think humility for all sports and off the field is just is so huge. So I wanted to leave with that. There were two players who, when you retired, there were two that stood out to me in terms of commending you on your career and made comments about uh, your being a, a good teammate, uh, Chris Archer and Jan Gomes, uh, two of them. What went into your relationships with players uh, from all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, baseball backgrounds, uh, life backgrounds uh, in the clubhouse? And how do you see that kind of, um, I guess, even moving forward uh, baseball-wise in this time in which this, you know, race relations are certainly being brought to the forefront. Jan and Chris are probably the two closest guys that I, I, I got with uh, playing baseball. And I really appreciated what they said. And I feel the same way back to them, obviously. But, you know, I think we, we all, when I was with Tampa, Chris and I, uh, well, we came up with the Cubs together and were traded to Tampa, but we kind of gravitated towards each other because we think so similarly, um, just the way we prepare, the way we go about our business. I think that was just a natural thing. And uh, our friendship just continually evolved and we would always bounce things off each other, whether it was nutrition or a new way to help with recovery, um, new way to train um, in the off season. That relationship was really based off of um, just wanting to be the best player and person we could be and, and um, really loved Archer and playing with him. And then Jan instantly when I got traded, you know, I had played against him in when he, when I was in Tampa, but getting to Cleveland right away, it's kind of funny. Just I'm a, I'm a uh, UFC nut and I just really am obsessed with the uh, UFC and uh, me and Kevin Kiermeyer with Tampa will always talk about it. He was like my UFC guy with Tampa. So I was like, when I go to Cleveland, I got to find my UFC guy, like who's into it. And uh, Jan Gomes, like right away, we started talking about UFC. I was like, Oh, I know I'm going to get along with this guy. And then he was friends with uh, local Stipe Miocic, who is the UFC heavyweight champion. So we would all get together and and hang out. But Jan was very similar to Archer, the way he went about his business, the the work he put in, the kind of person he was off the field. Um, Our families loved each other. So all of those things is how Jan and Chris and I got to be uh, really good friends. And, you know, friendships that you know, I loved having, but it, they're going to be lifelong. Um, so even when I'm done baseball, still be able to talk with them and, and get together. That's that's what I love about it. Just moving over back to the fully equipped athlete. You quoted a lot of people. <laughs> I made a short list. Zig Ziglar, the Buddha, Nelson Mandela, Usain Bolt, LeBron James, Kerry Walsh, and someone from the Lehigh Valley, which is our neck of the woods, The Rock. Uh, whose words have been most impactful to you? That's a tough one. They're all very impactful. Well, then tell us the story of your wife and, and the quotes and, and how she kind of gathers those for you. So really, we would look at, all right, mindset, and we would kind of look online and, and go through a ton and say, all right, how does it represent what we're talking about and how can it help other people? Um, so for like mindset, the LeBron James quote, while the greats master the body, the greatest master the mind. 
I mean, one of the best basketball players ever tells you how important the mind is, like who's not going to listen to that. So I was like, that's a no brainer. Put that in there. But honestly, the one guy who stands out is Napoleon Hill. Uh, I've read a lot of a lot of his books. And when he said, we are who we are because of the thoughts that enter and occupy our minds. The moment I read that, it just hit me and it's always been with me. And I think about it all the time, especially when, you know, negative things, you know, especially like during this time, you know, it can be tough. Like I have three kids at home and they're, I'm trying to get this business started and, you know, they're not going to school. So at times it can be like, man, this is so tough. It's hard. So like, that's just an example. But when like negative times come in, or thoughts come in my head, it consumes, it consumes you and it turns you into a different person. But if you're always putting positive thoughts into your head, it's going to make you a more positive person, more a person that people are going to want to be around. So I always think of that quote. So if I had to pick one from the whole book, I think I picked that Napoleon Hill quote. The mentally strong players compared to the other players on the team, what differentiates them? I think that those kind of players can just be put in any situation at any time. And they would have, you know, probably visualized it first. They probably would have already failed, whether it was late earlier in their life or, you know, whenever, but not only failed, but learned from that failure. So they know next time they get in it, what they have to do to fix it. So I think I would, the mentally strong people, if I could say one thing, is just no matter what situation you put them into, uh, they'll be prepared for it. Brandon Geyer, our guest, a couple of more questions for him as, as we start to wrap up here. One of the things that you advise people, um, and I think it's interesting in terms of trying to measure this, are things like breathing exercises and dealing with sports psychologists and, and mental skills people. How do you, like, I've tried meditation and I find it challenging. How do you figure out if you're actually gaining something uh, from that? That's a great question. And early on, I didn't know, especially because it was so tough for me at first, especially meditation. I would just sit there for 10 minutes. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not even like relaxing. I'm just thinking other thoughts, like what the heck? And then I got introduced to uh, an app called Headspace. And I got introduced to a device, it's called Muse. You put it on your head and really it can track your, your brain. And, and basically when you're meditating, it'll show, it'll put different sounds on. Like it'll be like just uh, either like birds chirping or like if you're not thinking good, you'll hear like a storm. Um, and then really afterwards, when you're done on the app, it shows you how the meditation went. So that's a way you can track it and really feel like um, you're getting better at it. I don't use that all the time, but when I do meditate, the, you brought up breathing. Like the breathing is the number one thing for me. If I'm breathing slow, taking my deep breaths, having a breath, uh, breath count, whether it's like three second, five second inhale, hold it, and then get all the air out, that, that's what helps me so much because I, I then start to just think about the breaths, count the breaths. So by doing that, I'm not thinking about, oh, what do I got to do later uh, to work on the company? What do I have to do to uh, help with the family or any other thing going on in my life? You you forget about that. And it really gives your mind a little rest. 
I think uh, that's why meditation is just huge and, and breathing is huge in general. How do all of these things fit in uh, with the, I guess, the analytic revolution in baseball? And you actually made a reference in the book that you weren't someone that necessarily bought into the uh, launch angle emphasis approach of hitting, but you could understand if other people did. Um, There are all sorts of things now related to uh, pitching, hitting, fielding. Um, How does everything that you're trying to teach in this fully equipped playbook kind of mesh uh, with that? Oh, that's a great question. So for me in writing this, I really, I, I feel like there's so much emphasis on the physical side, which is great. Um, you know, like you said, getting, you're changing your swing around for that launch angle or different things in the weight room, which is one of the tools, functional training I have. Um, but there's only, there's only so much you can do with that. Um, that, like I said, the talent gap from high school or college to the minors to the big leagues gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So that physical talent, all these other people are going to have that same physical talent. So if you're not doing other stuff like eating healthy, getting proper sleep, recovering, uh, having great recovery techniques, so your body's always feeling fresh. Uh, if you don't have the per- like a great daily routine that you go through, you're just, you're just not going to, you're not going to reach your full potential, number one. And you're probably not going to reach if you do get to the big leagues, because like I said, the talent gap is so much smaller. It's going to be tough to stay there for a long time. If you're not working on things other than just the physical side, that's really what I want to, wanted to emphasize and want to help athletes with. Cause to be honest, this wasn't stuff I thought about in high school and whatnot. I kind of got away with things, but uh, as I went through the ranks, there were so many people that I felt like had more talent than me, but those people did not put in the other extracurricular work that I put in to, to make the most of my talent. And I think that's, that's what helped me get to the big leagues and guided me through the big leagues. Um, so I really, that's why I feel so strongly that if all these athletes, uh, especially the, I mean, the earlier, the better they can, if they can all work on this stuff and ingrained in their head and try to master these tools, you're going to have a, a freak athlete. And, um, you know, I can't wait to see it. The book is the fully equipped playbook, fully equipped playbook.com F E athlete on, I'm sorry, full, fully equipped athlete.com fully F E athlete on Twitter. Get that right. Uh, Brandon, is there any, I know that there's another component of this. There's a, the, you mentioned the Zoom meetings. Uh, I guess level one for this is to get the book uh, if you're able to afford going beyond that. Uh, tell us just quickly about, about what, people, uh, what people can get beyond that. Yeah, so uh, would love for people just to read the book. And, um, and then if they want to connect with me, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I know you said some things when you introduced me. I'm kind of calling a performance mentor. Um, I want to be a mentor to to all these athletes and and be available to be get on a Zoom, get on the phone, because uh, more more than anything in my career, yeah, I did all this extra stuff. Having someone to talk to, whether it was a veteran teammate, a sports psychologist, um, someone in my support system, if I didn't have that, there's no way I would have made it through that first year in the big leagues. Um, there's no way I would have made it through college in the minors, but especially that first year in the big leagues. I was so uncomfortable and just didn't almost didn't feel like I belonged. It it was just a weird feeling. And I just feel like I'd been in the situation of all these guys. I struggled in my first three years in high school 
struggled. I hit rock bottom. I thought I was done my second year in the minor leagues. And then that first year in big leagues, I almost want, I wanted to get sent down. Like I was so uncomfortable, wasn't playing and wasn't playing good. I can relate to all these people and the struggles and the tough times they're going through. So like I said, what helped me the most was talking to a mentor, talking to someone that's been there. So I want to be that someone for all these other guys out there. And if it's not, if we're not even just talking about those tools, if we're just talking about ways to make them feel more comfortable, be themselves, then I feel like I'm doing my job and helping out. Brandon Geyer sounds like a, a cool, a cool approach to business, cool approach to life. Uh, we wish you success with it. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. And this wraps up the SIS Baseball Podcast. Thanks to Brandon Geyer and our producer, Justin Stein. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay well. Sports Info Solutions is excited to announce its Football Analytics Challenge. Contestants will use Sports Info Solutions data to determine which defensive line position is the most valuable and how does the value change based on factors like in-game situation. Registration is now open and submissions are due for preliminary judging by Sunday, July 19th. Three finalists will be chosen to present their work live to a panel of judges, including Matt Manicharian, Aaron Schatz, and John Park from the Indianapolis Colts front office. In addition to some great exposure within the industry, winner will receive a free one-year subscription to the SIS Data Hub Pro. And the best part, all proceeds from the event will go to the United Negro College Fund. A minimum $1 donation is required for entry but we encourage any of our listeners to donate to this worthy cause. For more information and to register today, check out the pinned tweet on the Sports Info Solutions Twitter account. That's at sportsinfo underscore SIS. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.